0: you this morning and be worshiping with God's people today. Uh, Boy, last Sunday was rough, (laughs) Uh, laid out on the couch uh, watching online at home. So I am thankful even though my voice feels like it's about to go that I have, the Lord has granted it to me to be able to join the rest of you today. Um, So it is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you guys. Hopefully I didn't give the rest of my voice to the singing. Alright, um, as we get started this morning, we are going back to the book of Romans. I know a couple weeks ago, I said we were right there at the, at the verge, at the precipice of being uh, completing kind of our, our journey through this letter, and so that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be in Romans 16, and we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 27. And these verses are probably all pretty familiar to us, because this has been our benediction for the last probably four or five months outside of Christmas time, as we've looked at that back half of the book of Romans. So as we read this together now, it should sound very, very familiar to all of us who have been here uh, for this journey, too, right? Mm. So let's go ahead and, um, if we have our Bibles open, let's go ahead and take a look at Romans 16, uh, verse 25. I'm going to read the word of the Lord to us now. Paul writes this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, beautiful set of three verses back to back to back right there for us as Paul points us to God's glory and to his majesty and to his wisdom that really so frequently um, falls outside of the realm of our own understanding. Amen? And here as we come to this uh, end of Romans, in some ways we're standing at the the edge of this letter and Paul's using these three verses to look back At everything that has just transpired, everything that he's just laid out on this paper for people to read and to be taught and to know about who God is and who they are, right? This is the end of a project, right? Have you ever been to the end of a project and you're sitting there and you're you're looking at it, right? You've you've done something. I picture Brian in his backyard, right, and he's got that fire pit thing that he's been working on since we've been up here, probably even longer than that. Jody Shakenard, yes, so it's clearly been going longer than the four years we've been here, right? But he has this fire pit in the backyard that he dug out, and since we've known them, you know, you go over there and you see it, and there's a little piece of concrete. There's a few extra pieces of concrete around it. And he's laid down these pieces of concrete that he's kind of picked up and scavenged from different places to kind of finish this area around this fire pit, right? And it wasn't that long ago, we went over to their house, and they, they had invited uh, the church over not that long ago, I think, back in the summer. And you look at that fire pit, and it's like, man, check it out. you got all the concrete to fill around that fire pit. Look at that, Brian's been working on this project for a long time. Of course, that introduces the whole other aspect of it. There's got to be a roof and all kinds of other things, right? But that piece of the project, Brian finished. And I can just picture him out in his backyard as he's got that last piece of concrete that he's hauling in from his truck, laying it in the piece, filling it with sand, and just stepping back and seeing what was once dirt, well, probably grass, but was once grass and dirt and said, I want to build a fire pit there. He lays that last piece of concrete down. And what's he do? What do we all do at that point? Just step back and, you know, whoo, all right. Look at that. Let's take that in for a minute, right? Let's stop and let's soak this in. Let's see what it is that we've accomplished right now, right? We've all been there. We've all had projects where we do that, where we go. And once we finish, once we stop, we just take a look and we see and say, wow, this was just a piece of grass six years ago, right? <laughs> This is just a piece of grass when I started. And through all this work and this labor and this toil, look at at what has been accomplished here. Right? We can all appreciate that. We can all appreciate what it means to stop, look back at where you've been and all the hard work you put into something, and then to just appreciate appreciate it for sort of that job well done, right? I think in a lot of ways we see Paul doing this very thing here at the end of the book, at the end of this letter to the Romans, right? The end of Romans 16, we sit here and we have uh, the final part of Paul's uh, message, this letter that we've spent quite a bit of time in too, right? Believe it or not, we actually started uh, going through Romans back in May of 2021, which, uh, I mean, hard to believe we're in January of 2023 now, right? And we've had a few breaks along the way, but now, almost two years later, as we get to these final words to Paul's message, in Paul's letters to the church at Rome. I think we see Paul looking back at what he's done, where he's been, and what he's said throughout of it. Because this letter has had so much to say about who God is. It's had so much to say about who man is. It's had so much to say about our desperate need, the desperate need of man for God to redeem us from a place of hopelessness and despair, from a place of sin and separation from God, right? And we're confronted with it in this letter, with what it means to be a rebel against God. That's a key core theme at the heart of the first half of Paul's letter. In this letter, though, we see this beautiful message of the gospel that's laid out for us by Paul, though. Right? This beautiful message contrasts this hopeless state that we face. This message that's laid out tells us that regardless of our inability to make ourselves right, regardless of our inability to try to clean ourselves and to wash us clean before God so that we can come back to Yahweh and stand in His presence and praise Him and worship Him, regardless of this inability for us by ourselves to get to God, God did not leave us to a helpless fate. This message Paul gives us in this letter to the Romans tells us that God gave His Son to come and rescue man from sin and from death and ultimately from hell. This was one of the main themes we talked about for the entirety of this letter, right? We have it in the banner week in and week out. You Click back one slide for me real quick, just the front one. What's the banner say that we've had? It says, Romans, Christ to all nations. Right? That's been the theme. That's been the overarching theme that Pastor John laid out for us when we started this journey. Thank you, guys. You can click back over to the next one. It says, Romans, Christ to all nations. This letter that Paul has written to Rome has at its core that this message of Jesus Christ, this message of salvation from God to people. Right? That's what the message of Jesus Christ is. It's the message of salvation from God. It came through the nation of Israel, And now that it's here, it has to go to all the ends of the earth for all the world to hear and believe. Right? This is the message. This is the overarching theme. God has sent this message of salvation. It has come through Israel, and now it's going back out. It's not staying with Israel. It's not ethnic Israels anymore, right? Ethnic Israel has a job to do, and they they brought about that Savior that God promised. And now that message goes out to the ends of the earth to bring everyone into Israel, right? I think the other theme, or that's why that theme that we've kind of honed in on, Christ to all nations, is one of those things. That message of salvation going to all nations. And it fits with sort of the other uh, summary statement that we used early on as we looked at Romans, right? Um, Anybody remember uh, Pastor Mike Cain's summary of the book of Romans, which we talked about a lot early when we first started his summary for the book of Romans is that this is the one true God's one true way for all the world to be right with him one true God and he has one true way for everyone in the world to be made right with him there's no other way but through Christ that people come to the father Now here, we stand at the precipice of the end of Paul's letter. We see in so many ways here in these three verses that Paul is looking back over the words that he's penned through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's looking back over the entirety of this letter. And what he gives us here in verses 25 and 26 and 27, we kind of see them act as a summation in a lot of ways of everything that he's taught. This is a quick three-line summary. This is a quick three-line song of praise almost to the Lord that reminds us of what? The theology of salvation that Paul laid out for us in the first part of the book of Romans. This is a short three-line sort of song of praise to God that reminds us, right, the role of Israel and the grafting in of the Gentiles to the Jews that we saw in sort of that middle section of the book of Romans. We have Paul singing this song of praise, reminding us that this is all to bring about obedience of faith in Christ. And that this obedience of faith is to mark followers of Jesus. Right? Romans 12 and 13 and 14. 15. And Paul finishes with a line of praise for the wisdom of God for His plans and purposes. Because this is a plan Paul tells us that has been enacted by this eternal God throughout all of human history. And when we look at it as humans, as people, in our limited and faulty knowledge, we can't understand it. We struggle. We point fingers at God. But when we see the beauty of it, we have our eyes open to the truth of who God is, to the beauty of this gospel message. We have nothing but praise to sing for God and his wisdom, his plans and his purpose, because he is far higher than all of our own uh, plans and thoughts are. Amen. I think this is where we find our main idea today that has up on the screen there for us, right? This uh, main idea ultimately that sits at the heart of the entire book of Romans. The main idea here in these three verses that That fits so tightly with the rest of the book is that we see God's answer to end sin has been revealed God had to deal with sin when it entered into the garden and he had the plan to deal with it and this is it this is the fulfillment of this this is what Paul has been doing in the book of Romans and as we see this plan to bring an end to sin it has implications for us in our life right? What's the why that Paul gives us here in these three verses that we have to understand this? Because God wants to see the nations come to obedience of faith in Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And this is where we're at in Romans. We have the plan, and now we have to take that plan, and we have to see it go forward to everyone across the face of the earth, right? Right? Ultimately, this is a message of hope. This message of obedience to faith, it's a message of hope that God has not left sinful people to die in their sin. This message of good news of great joy, like we talked about it back at Christmas time, right? It's come to Jew and to Gentile. And God, right here, Paul tells us, is to be greatly praised because he has put his grace and his mercy on display through his son, Jesus Christ, in ways that we never could have envisioned being possible to people who never really, truly did anything to earn it or deserve it. So right now, let's go ahead and take a look back at these final three verses of Romans. And right now, let's remember that this message of hope and of saving grace that Paul has given us and the way it has permeated through every step of this journey through Romans, right? Let's look back at verse 25 really quick. All right. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's how this opens. This little um, bit of uh, doxology here opens. This uh, ultimately, Paul is reminding us of the foundation that he has laid in this letter to the Romans. The the foundation that he's laid right is the gospel. And this is why he begins his final address to the church in the same way. Paul tells us that God is able to strengthen you. God is able. He is not powerless. He is not sitting back on his throne looking out over the world just wondering, what are these people doing with this place I made? Right? He's not kind of just sitting back letting things happen. God is a personal active force in the lives of people. And we see this particularly in the lives of those who have bent the knee to Christ, those who have turned from their old lives and have said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me with the power of your blood that was shed on the cross as a sacrifice in my place. God is active and powerful and at work in our lives, and he is able to strengthen us. The start of verse 25, it parallels in many ways the message Paul is conveying back in chapter 1 in verse 16. Back in chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This message that Paul has brought to the Roman church and ultimately to us through this letter whose existence has amazingly been preserved over the course of almost 2,000 years. This message has power. You've probably heard um, someone at some point in the past talk about this. It's a favorite, I think, example for a lot of people. But the word for power here in chapter 16, if you just do a little word study, is a Greek word, uh, dunamis. Right, It's probably one Greek word a lot of you have heard before, right? Because it's a famous connection everyone likes to make when it comes to this this passage. Because that word dunamis is the Greek word that was used to name dynamite. right? And dynamite gives us a nice, easy picture of what power looks like, doesn't it? People always like to make this connection between that because it's such an easy picture in our minds as to what kind of power uh, dynamite has. And we can, see, we can see it in our minds, right? The imagery of construction crews taking dynamite and blowing up rocks or blowing up mountains or using it to clear uh, spaces as they, as they do some sort of construction. Or we see that kind of power on display uh, when we tear down old buildings, right? Like the old Pontiac Silverdome or the Georgia Dome, right? Everybody lines up. It's a big TV spectacle. And all of a sudden you count down. Five, four, three, two, one. Boom, 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 boom. And this whole structure... That would house 70,000 people inside of it, right? It just collapses from the power of these explosives, right? It just collapses. can't stand in the face of it. That's why it's such an easy image, I think, for us. And why so many people like that connection there when they talk about dunamis and they talk about dynamite. Because we can picture it in our minds. We see that stadium collapsing. We see those mountains shaking. And like those old stadiums that were shaken to their core and their old, dilapidated, dying structures were wiped out in one fell swoop. This is the power of the Gospel in the lives of those who believe. The Gospel works in the lives of spiritually dead people to shake them to their core with the fear of the Lord. This is the power of the Gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ to reveal to us how far from God we truly are. And this is Paul's message in the first part of the book of Romans. Right? We, we read uh, Romans 1.16. Let me read a little bit from Romans 1.18 to, to verse 24. Paul writes this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to their lusts, of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. <clears throat> Paul tells us here, God has revealed Himself to all creation. It is plain to all, Jew and Gentile, through His invisible attributes, Paul says His eternal power and divine nature. Paul tells us they've all been clearly perceived across the face of the world. And we see that. We see that to be true, don't we? If we look at every nation, every society, everyone that's ever existed on the face of the world, They've always had some kind of God or gods to worship. They've all looked at the world and they've seen this place and they've seen this place that said, somebody had to have made this. They see His divine attributes at work in the world. This this is a universal reality that all men understand that God is there and that He's created all things. But humanity rejects what is plain, Paul tells us here in Romans. We reject what is true about God, and we try to invent our own true wisdom. And if it's our own true wisdom, it's not true and it's not wisdom. And We do this instead of seeking out the one true God. And we see this across the face of the earth, with every society, every people, everywhere. Really only until modern times. Atheism is a modern invention. And it only comes in face of looking at the reality of who, who God is, the one true real God, who Yahweh is, and rejecting Him and saying, no, I don't like you. I won't believe. Like Romans 1, verse 23 says, humans have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. We've given up this glory, this beautiful picture of this huge immensely powerful perfect just good righteous god this god who gives us the standard to which we even understand any of these things actually are right this god you look up in the sky and you see this sun right and they talk about the power of the sun and like all these nuclear reactions effectively going off that create all this heat and light that feed so much of this planet how do they get there a spoken being by the mouth of this God. That's who this God is. We're talking about a glorious, immense being far beyond what our own feeble minds can fully comprehend. And yet He still made Himself known to us, right? And our response to Him is to turn around and say, oh, let's make a God that looks like a cow. Let's make a God that looks like a bird. Let's make a God that looks like Mother Earth. We see the very, very scary news that when sinners want to persist in their sin, God freely gives them over to the desires of their heart. People who are worshiping idols are chasing after the desires of their heart. And God will turn us over to that if we don't repent. This is the bad news. This is the news that should be terrifying to all people that there is a good and holy and just God who will not stand for injustice, who will not stand for sin, who will not stand for the pain and sickness that it brings, and who will not stand for people robbing the glory that belongs to him. The general state of mankind is that we are far from any kind of true worship. And we are far from any kind of true understanding of what is good and what it is to be good to others because humanity has time and again rejected the one true God who is good. This is why we need the power that comes from the Gospel. This is why we say the Gospel is powerful because it's taking us from a place of desperate need, a place where we are hopeless and unable and it's giving us something freely, that we never could have earned. It's taking us from being far and away and apart from God. People who don't deserve to stand before a righteous and holy God. And it's bringing us in as children by faith in Jesus Christ. Why is this message powerful? We can stand up here and say, it's powerful, it's powerful, powerful all day long. But why is it powerful? Because we see the desperate need we have. We see something that we can never fulfill, but we see God give something so freely to people. And we see that through his son Jesus, right? Jesus came and he taught and he rebuked and he demonstrated what perfect obedience to God looks like. And then at the end of that life, he went and he died the death of a criminal. He committed no crime, but he died the death of a criminal. Being beaten by the authorities. Being scourged by the authorities. Being executed by the authorities as if he was some kind of criminal. Well, how is that powerful? He said he died. He was executed. Treated like a criminal. Where's the power in that? Because Jesus' death was a substitution. Jesus' death was in our place. I'm the rebel. I'm the one who's far from God. I'm the one who's obstinate. I'm the one who's sinful. I'm the one who's idolatrous. I'm the liar. I'm the one who is hurtful and impatient and unkind to the people that I say I love. I'm the one who steals. I'm the one who lusts. I'm the one that loves your creation, God, more than I love you. And Jesus is the one who died? That should have been me. I'm the one with the debt, Lord. I'm the one with the debt and I can't pay it. And you offer your son, Jesus, freely as payment for my sins. that's the power of the gospel we see faint shades of this in our own world too don't we because we see uh the truth of the gospel and the substitution that god made and we see it kind of reverberate in our stories and the things that we think are valuable don't we you think about the way we treat military and think about the way we treat firefighters and police officers and first responders we have a general sense of reverence and we show them an extra level of respect don't we why do we do that? Because these are, these are people who've raised their hands and said, you know what? I'm willing to step up and sacrifice myself. I'm willing to go over to a foreign nation to fight a battle, to be shot at, and to possibly never come home to see my family again in your place. So you don't have to. I'm willing to go to a call at 3 a.m. to a domestic violence Thing where mom and dad are fighting and kids are hiding in bedrooms scared. And I'm willing to show up as a police officer to take care of that and to be there and to help bring, help bring um, restoration to that situation. That's a hard place to be, isn't it? And that's why we look at people in those situations who've raised their hand and who's gone and said, I'll do that, and we say thank you. Thank you for your service. Because we need people in those places. We need people doing those things. And we know that they've taken a burden on them. They've given of themselves for the better of other people, right? We see that in moms and dads, right? We celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day, right? We look at how much moms give up and taking care of their kids. There was a great video a while back where uh, they were doing uh, fake job interviews. And the guy was running through and said... All right, well, here's your job description, right? You're going to have to be there to make all the meals for me. Um, I'm going to need you there when I'm sick to be there to make sure I get my medicine. Uh, I'm going to need you to sit there and make sure you know this is done, this is done, that's done. Uh, It's a 24-hour job too, so you're going to have to be on call all the time, right? And everybody sat there looking at them saying like, "Uh, yeah, no thanks. You can't pay me enough to do that job, right? And that was the big reveal. It was the Mother's Day video was like, you know, who actually does this job? Your mom did that job for you. She gave and she gave and she gave of herself, right? We look at those self-sacrificing times and we hold those in high regards. Why? Because we see the gospel reverberating throughout our lives, right? We see the sacrifice of God who gave himself freely to people who don't deserve it. And that power reverberates down to where it moves us when we see people giving of themselves in that way too, doesn't it? This is the power of the gospel. This is the power that shakes dead men to life. This is power that opens blind eyes. That is, Yahweh, who is able to save people from sin and from judgment and punishment that rightly comes to those who are in active rebellion against their Creator, are forgiven. Not because of anything they've done to deserve it, but because He is good and He is kind and He is patient with us. you know who Ray Comfort is? He's on a lot of TV shows. He's done a lot of YouTube videos. He's a pretty well-known evangelist. He hits out in the streets, and um, it's great. If you don't know who he is, I'd, I'd look him up and watch a few of his videos. Always very encouraging to see a brother so bold out on the street sharing his faith with people. But Ray Comfort has a very particular method of evangelizing. and One of the first questions he always asks people is what happens to them when they die? What do you think everybody always says to that question? Like 99% of people, oh, Going to heaven. Why? Why, right? Why does everybody sit there and think they're going to heaven? Why do people even think there is a heaven in the first place? Why would we think that we would be going to heaven... When we see in Romans 1, people have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for something less. People have abandoned this God who has made them and and created them. We all sit there and we ask that question, right? And everybody may look at it and say, yeah, well, sure, heaven and hell may be real, right? But, you know, I've never shot anyone. I'm I'm not as bad as the guy over there. I'm not as bad as the guy in prison. I'm not the drug dealer. I'm not this or that, right? So I'm sure once it's all said and done... God will let me in. It'll be good. I'll be in heaven. Right? We're counting on some kind of loophole as if because our sins weren't quite bad enough, God will give us eternal life. If that's who God truly was, I would argue God would not be good because he would not be just. God would not be good, he would not be just if he just looked at every hurt, every pain, every sin that every human has committed against another and has just written it off and just said, well, I just didn't quite know what they were doing. If he just sat there and wrote all those things off and just pretended like they didn't happen, that it didn't really matter, that all the pain and the suffering that we've gone through have no ultimate recompense, God wouldn't be good. This is where we see God's power on full display in the gospel. We see a God who is able to save, who is able to look at people who were so far from him who could never make it to him, right? And He's welcomed them into eternity as his children, not by weighing their good deeds against their bad, not by ignoring evil and hurt that they have wrought, but by placing the good and just punishment for this rebellion against Yahweh onto the shoulders of the only one who could ever bear the full weight of sin. Those shoulders were on the son of it. Those were the shoulders of his son, Jesus, who is God in the flesh. Now sin has been dealt with. Right, Men can be forgiven and brought in close relationship with God. And no one could ever accuse God of dealing with sin, with evil, with, without the proper measure of punishment that it deserves. God has covered every base along the way in this message of salvation. And this, this is where we find the power of the gospel message. This is the power of the gospel message, and we see that power ultimately come to manifest itself in the lives of people through the preaching of Jesus Christ. This message of Christ is different than any other you will hear. Because no matter how much the world tries to look at us and say, well, you know, Jesus isn't the first deity that was described as the Son of God. or He's not the first one that said he did this or did that or something else, right? The world's going to claim that. They're going to sit there and say, well, you know, Jesus was... He was a long line. He's just copying other gods, right? Of course, they give no source to really cite to to back up their claim. But the message of Christ is so very different because every other man-made religion that exists, it's all about man working to draw himself nearer to God. The power of the message of Jesus Christ is that God came to us. Because we were unable to ever work our way back to Him. This is a powerful message, and God is able to save people and to draw people near to Himself through the power of this message, this message of Jesus Christ. I took a long time on that first slide tonight. My hope there as we kind of dealt with just that one single verse, was to emphasize the power of the message of the gospel. But that's not it. We've got a little bit more to go, and I'm not going to be quite as long with the rest of it, okay? So we've got this second slide up here, too. The first slide focused in on the power of the gospel, and that's what we've been talking about now. Now the, we continue on through this doxology, the song of praise from Paul, and we see that Paul reminds us, right? He's he's walking through. He's walking back through the book of Romans from the start to the finish. And we spent that time focused on the gospel, man's hopeless condition, and the power that comes from God's good news. But there's a section in there when we get to chapters uh, 9 and 10 and 11 in Romans where Paul talks about this mystery. And he mentions this mystery again for us here in verse uh, uh, 26. Paul tells us, that um, this message is the revealing of a mystery that was kept secret for long ages. The secret of how God will work out salvation for man has been revealed to us in Christ. But it's left a question Paul has had to answer in his letter to the Romans. Because if Jesus is the Messiah who has come to save Israel, right? if this is God's plan, why has so much of Israel rejected him? Why were the religious leaders of the day pushing for Jesus to put to death Paul's answering this objection as he's gone through this letter, right? And Paul talks about this as a mystery. And this is, uh, this is the mystery that Paul is getting back to here, right? Paul spends multiple chapters, we talked about that eight, or 9, 10, 11 specifically, walking through the logic and the theology of how God is working to see the, na- the means of salvation come through Israel and go out to all nations. Paul mentions this mystery in chapter 11, verse 25. Right, If you look back in Romans eleven twenty-five, 25, he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Don't be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God has brought Jesus into the world. To accomplish the powerful work at the heart of the gospel message. And he's done this through the family line of Abraham and ultimately from Abraham through the Jewish people, right? And now we see that there are people who are Jews who have hardened their hearts to the message of God. These should be the people who are welcoming Jesus in, you know, waving those palm leaves, shouting, Hosanna. Because here he is, here's the Messiah. But the mystery that Paul references here, the one we struggle and fail to understand, is that there are people inside this nation of Israel, the Jews, who harden their hearts against God. And God has used their hardening to say, you've rejected it, but it's going out to the ends of the earth from here on. This mystery of the Messiah and how the gospel works was not always hidden from people, though. Right? It's a, it's a mystery Paul talks about because they're struggling to put the pieces together in their time. But Paul has used the Old Testament right throughout the book of Romans to show that God was at work in the law and the prophets, pointing us, to the, pointing us ultimately to the fulfillment of all of God's promises to humanity and to Israel in Christ. That's the second point up there on the slide right there, is that the prophetic writings pointed us to the revelation of Christ that God has given us here. If we go back and we reread chapters 9 and 10 and 11, we see Paul talk about this mystery that God has revealed. And we, if we take those three chapters and we counted how many times Paul quotes the Old Testament, we find 11 quotations in just those three chapters from Paul of Old Testament texts. Paul's pointed us in Romans to the fact that the prophetic writings exist to point us to Christ and his person and his work. This is not just something that's new on the scene. Paul's telling everybody, God has been working this out throughout all of history. This is what he's been pointing us to, is this moment right here. Jesus tells us something very similar in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 24, verse 25. He's on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, and he encounters two men. And after talking with them, and he tells them this in verse 25. He, that is Jesus, said to them, How foolish are you and slow to believe? All the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus tells us here in Luke that he is the one Moses and the prophets were looking to, he is the one that their words were talking about, he is the source of of the true fulfillment of their teachings and writings. We see this repeated in other places in the Bible, too. In Acts 13, Paul tells us the same thing. Where in verse 32 of Acts 13. He says, We tell you the good news. What God promised to our ancestors, He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. What God promised to the ancestors of the Jews long ago, He's fulfilled through Christ. I think we see another great example of this in Acts 17. Here Paul is in Berea, and he's preaching the gospel to the Bereans. And what do they do when they hear this news that Paul is preaching to them? they just take it and just soak it in and say, Oh, that's interesting. That's something new. Oh, thanks, for that. thanks for that interesting new thing you just gave us, Paul. No, they were called noble because they tested the claims Paul gave them by the Scripture. Paul, you're telling us this long-awaited Messiah has come. Well, let's see if you're right. And how do we see if you're right? We're going back to the Scripture because we know the prophets and Moses and the writings of the ancestors were pointing us to this day when God would send this Savior to his people. So we've seen the power of the Gospel, right? Right? We've seen that this revelation of this mystery, and we've seen that this is, has been a long boiling process for God, right? And that gives us to our last uh, couple of points here. Paul talks about in verse 26 that this power for salvation and this message of salvation are all according to the command of the eternal God. This is his work and it's his story. And he, as he reveals himself to humanity, that he has created. He has shown himself to be patient. He's shown himself to suffer as people have sinned for long, long ages. He's withheld righteous judgment on sin to offer grace for people. And he's done this because he's already put into motion his plan ultimately for doing away with sin, right? Right? This plan is ultimately going to see sin washed away by the blood of his son Jesus, who God would use to pay for sin once and for all time. For all who believe in Jesus as the Son of God, repent of their sin and follow him. All right. From that, you guys click the next slide please, that'd be great. And from that, from that belief, from that following Jesus, from this eternal command that God, or the command that God has given, it brings about an obedience of faith. Right, we hear this message and we hear it's powerful. That power works in our lives, right? It brings about an obedience of faith in the lives of the people of God. This obedience to faith produces something that God again promised in the words of the prophets. It, it brings about this law of God being written on the hearts of his people. We're walking through the book of Romans here in these three verses, aren't we? Right? We had that beginning all that theology of salvation, we had that middle working out Israel's role and where they fit and how all those pieces fit together, and now, boom, here we are in Romans 12. That obedience of faith in the lives of people. We know here God has told us that um, He's going to bring a time where the law of God is written on the hearts of His people, right? So that observance and obedience to the law wouldn't just be gritting our teeth and doing what's right because God said it's right, but it becomes a joyful act of imitating our Savior. To be the people who live life like Romans 12.1 says. Paul says there in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The obedience of faith should produce in the lives of people who hear and believe and embrace this gospel of Jesus Christ. It should produce new minds, new hearts, new desires. It should change the way we see sin in our own lives. And ultimately, it causes the law to be written in our hearts, right? And it causes us to fulfill the law in a way that we may not even understand. Paul describes that in chapter 13, verse 8, where he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I think this is the obedience of faith that we have. We are obedient to our faith in Christ because we know how much He gave to cleanse us and to impart His righteousness on us, to transform our minds and to cause us to want to live um, with the law of God in our hearts. And this happens so that we wouldn't live to try to fulfill the law out of an attempt to make ourselves righteous, but out of a real desire to be like the one who was righteous conform our minds and our lives to God because of the great love that He's shown us through His Son, Jesus. This is the eternal plane of God to which Paul has has nothing but praise. In verse 27 he says it, To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I've gone really, really long today, so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. So we finished. I've got three quick questions for us to to chew on, and I'll let you guys chew on those kind of on your own as we get to communities and out back to home today. So you can go ahead and click the next slide for me, please. I think the first thing for us to kind of think about as we think about this passage is have you put your hope in Christ and the message of the gospel? That's it. That's the first that's the first thing for us to do. I know everybody here in this room today, and I think that that's true for for everybody from what I've heard and what I've seen, the conversations we've had. If you're watching online, have you put your hope in Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel? It is powerful. It is powerful to take you from being the wretched sinner that we are and making us right with God. That is our greatest need. We've been lied to and told that it's not. We're said we need all these other things in life. We need vacations, we need homes. We need security or safety. Our greatest need is to be made right with God because all that stuff you have that you've been told you need, it's going to be dust one day. You don't get to take it with you. You're going to die, you're going to be buried, and you're going to stand before God, and you're going to see very quickly your greatest need was to have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And so if you haven't done that today, if you have not given your life to Christ and you have not, said, not I anymore, Lord, but you. I bend the knee and I follow you. You are my God. Make me your child. Do that today. Do that today. The second thing for us to chew on is that reminder that this message goes out to all nations. What if Paul just thought this message was only for Israel and never made it out? We wouldn't be sitting here today, would we? We wouldn't have sat there with this message coming to us at some point in time from some faithful brother or sister in the past, sharing us this hope that we have to be right, made right with God, right? This message is to go out to all nations. It's not to sit in this room. That's why we want to do evangelism, right? That's why we want to talk to our neighbors about our faith, is because we want to share the hope that we've been given with us. That's to go to all nations. So don't hold on to this message. Live it out. Let people see the joy and the hope that you have. Take that to your neighborhood. Take that to your job. Take that to the ends of the earth if God calls you there. But take it. The last question for us to chew on and probably the one of the more difficult ones for us is what does the obedience of faith look like in our lives right now? Y'all can't say amen, just say ouch. Borrow that one from Vody Bacham. Hmm. The message of the gospel calls us to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and believe in his work on the cross for forgiveness of sin. If that is where your Christian walk starts and ends, I want to warn you, you might not be a Christian. Okay? If that's where it starts and ends, you say, I walked up there, I prayed a prayer and that Jesus into my heart one day, you, you're probably not saved. Okay? And there's been a false adoption of that as Christians in America. This is your life. Jesus doesn't want one moment where you walk up to an altar and bent a knee. This is your life. He calls us to deny ourselves and follow Him. This is our lives. And if we've truly encountered the face of this glorious, amazing, giving, gracious God, why would we ever want to give Him anything less? Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. Belief and confession bring about forgiveness of sin, right? But that brings about an obedience to faith, and that means that we live a life conformed to him that proves our repentance to be real. Here's our challenge for the church. Go home and read Romans 12 this week. Go home and read Romans 12. It's not that long. Read it. Look at that thing like it was your bathroom mirror and you're looking for something dirty on your face, right? There's one hair i got to pick. Use that thing like your your bathroom mirror, trying to sit there and clean yourself up for the day. Go home and read Romans 12. And let's take a look, an honest look in our own lives, and how that obedience of faith looks like for us. Let's examine ourselves today by the standard God gives us, so that we won't be people that waste or forsake the power of the gospel. This is God's plan to put an end to sin once and for all. So let us stand in awe of the glory of the only wise God who's given us His Son and has left us with His gospel to deal with the sin in our lives and to know that we can be made right with Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise You. God, we thank You. Lord, You're gracious and good. God, I pray like that song we sang before I started this morning, Behold Him. Lord, that we beheld Your glory and Your majesty and Your power today, Lord. Lord, I pray that if we didn't, God, please forgive me for my, for my failure. I just pray that we just see You as great and glorious. And as we come to the the Lord, the, Your table right now to take this Lord's Supper, Lord, let us just be um, dealt with in our hearts, Lord. Deal with us right now, Lord. Deal with the sin in our lives, so that God, we would not waste the power of the gospel. We would not forsake the power of the gospel. The Lord, we would just truly uh, be ready to give all we are over to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.